Well, this Sunday is about kicking off some unfinished business. We had some unfinished business here at Connections in case y'all didn't know. It was the year 2020. It was March of 2020, and we had big plans here at Connections Church. We are just kicking off a series called Bear Fruit. We'll get that graphic up here in a second. And I actually hadn't even gotten into the fruits of the Spirit. We set it up by looking into Jesus's great statement, I am the true vine, abide in me, and that's how we're gonna bear fruit. So we had it all teed up with the the cutting and the pruning and the bearing of fruit, and then we're gonna dive into the fruits of the Spirit, and then something happened, and we aren't gonna talk about that anymore. Something happened that threw us off track, uh, and I just kind of forgot about it, but if I'm gonna be really frank, it's not just that I kind of forgot about it, I, I kind of was hesitant to go back there. I was like, ooh, I, I just don't like that season. I don't like that time. I don't think I want to go back there. I, I, maybe I just wasn't ready to go back into that topic because I associated it with the pandemic and all the chaos that our world um, was thrown into. But then this past week on Monday night, a big bear walked through my backyard in my driveway. I don't know if you saw that post online. It was all, he, he comes out at night, but this is in the middle of the day. He decided to hang out in my house. And, uh, and honestly, we were laughing about that and we just, started talking about bears and bearing fruit, and the Lord put it on my heart and said, George, you, you need to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So here we are. We are going to dive into, for the rest of the summer, unpacking each one of these fruits. Let's tee it up. Let's set it up by looking at these fruits in the context of its passage from Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Please hear attentively with open hearts, with open minds, with a welcoming spirit the word of our Lord. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that, you are, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Is there any kids in the room? Um, send them out, by the way. We're about to get into the not bedtime reading stories of Scripture here, as often is the case. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, and if you know them, say them, shout them out, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. This is the word of our Lord. Amen and amen. So, friends, let's just start where we're going to end. And when I say end, I mean like literally nine weeks from now, when we wrap this series up, we're going to come back to what I'm about to share. 
Love is the key. Love is the foundation. All we need is love. The world needs a little bit of love. Think of every song you've ever heard of in pop culture. Love, 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 love. We love love, and well, we should. It is all about love, but we are going to fill this idea of love, this invitation of love, this command to love. What I want to do literally over the next nine weeks is kind of fill that one word up with all of the fruits and in many ways the whole of the Christian life because we know that God is love. We know we are called to love God. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves as the passage just taught us. So in many ways, the next nine weeks are about deeper understanding of the love to which we are invited to experience and then exude to live by, to demonstrate, to put forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here it is. This is, uh, this is from a guy named uh, Donald Barnhouse, and he wrote this, Love is the Key. And I think we can get him up here. Can, there we go. Love is the Key. Now notice he's just going to talk about each one of these fruits right now as an expression of love. Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. Isn't that beautiful? That is what we're gonna be filling out, fleshing out, living into the next several weeks. Uh, it is you know, not overstating the fact that, of course, the world knows love. The world knows joy. The world knows peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are familiar terms of the world. These are um, welcomed ideas, concepts, experiences of the world. But what we need to do then for the next nine weeks is not talk about this on the worldly level, the fleshly level, so to speak, we are going to each week be inviting a deeper experience of these fruits, a supernatural experience of these fruits. Otherwise, we're wasting our time, right? So what we are really inviting God to do is to say, God, help me to love not as the world would love, but as you would love in the face, perhaps, of enemies. Lord, give me joy, not joy like the world parties and celebrates, but joy in the face of despair, hardship, difficulties, suffering. Can I still experience your joy? Peace, Lord, not peace like just an, at the conflict of war, but the peace that passes, that transcends all understanding. Okay, each one of the fruits. So that is what we are going to be unpacking for the next several weeks, for the rest of our summer together. And uh, I hope you'll be a part of every single week, if not here in purpose, uh, I'm sorry, in person, uh, online, through our website, through our social media networks. Of course, we can all be together nurturing and growing the fruits of the Spirit. But let's take a step back, of course. This comes in the context of Paul rounding out his letter to the church in Galatia. And how apropos that as he's finishing up his letter, uh, we are celebrating our 4th of July weekend, our celebration of independence, our celebration of freedom. And that is exactly, in many ways, the point that Paul has been making. He has been celebrating. This is, in many ways, a treatise on freedom. You are free from sin. You are free from guilt. You are free from shame. In the context of Galatia and front of the old ways of the world, uh, you are free from paganism, you would have said, or idolatry. You are free from those trappings of the world. Not only that, 
he pushes the point a little bit further. He says, you are also free from the old religious obligations, not because they were bad. Do not misread, do not misunderstand, not because they were bad, not because they didn't serve a purpose, not because God was not in them, but because they have been fulfilled. They accomplished what they were pointing towards and what they were pointing towards, what they were leading us towards, of course, is Jesus Christ. So don't just sort of denigrate or diminish the law, but celebrate that the law has been fulfilled and now you are free. And he invites us to this celebration of freedom. But of course, the warning is for us uh, not to misuse our freedom. He says, don't do whatever you want. I mean, he just says a point blank. There's a great verse for parents to quote to your kids. Don't do whatever you want. <laughs> no, do as the Lord leads. And of course, the invitation is to love like God is inviting us to love. We're not to indulge our freedom for freedom's sake. We're not to indulge our freedom for our own benefits, but we are given this freedom to indulge in love and loving like God. My friend, uh, Sammy Wood, he, he posted a quote uh, from uh, Dorothy Day. And the quote was this, it's a terrible thought. We love God as much as the one we love the least. We love God as much as the one we love the least. We're very familiar with, of course, love the least of these. And we're kind of like, oh yeah, that's great. Uh, love the least of these. And when we think about the least of these, we might think of somebody uh, sort of on the downs, on the outs, somebody in a hard place. And we're like, oh, we should love the least. And it, again, the world would say that, right? We, we should probably love people that are in need of love or in difficult circumstances. I love the kind of that flip. She, she puts on it. It's not just love the least. It's the one, uh, it, it, what does he say again? I can't mess it up. We love God as much as the one we love the least. We love God as much as the one we love the least. Okay, going a little bit deeper, of course, in the maturity and the faithfulness he's inviting us towards. Uh, he is sort of a, a powerful uh, kind of a, a, con, a contradiction here for us. He's saying you're no longer slaves to the sinful nature. But of course, because the law has been fulfilled, you're no longer slaves to the old way, to the old laws. This is actually um, points us right back to last week. If you weren't here last week, we we're finishing up a little mini series there on parables. We looked at the parable of the lost son, but we know it's more appropriately the parable of the lost sons because both were lost. One was lost in the ways of the flesh. One was lost in the world. One was lost thinking, I'm going to uh, find everything my heart's ever wanted by going out there, rejecting everything I was brought up in this household of faith, and that's going to be my fulfillment, my joy, my love, my life, my all in all. And, and, and he was lost and became a, a slave to that. But we know the other son was lost in the law, lost in a legalistic obedience. That's what Paul is talking about here. You're no longer slaves to the flesh, of course, obviously. And he does give us quite an explicit, a graphic list of the slavery of the flesh, indulging in these things that promise us joy and fulfillment, love, peace, all these things, but end up falling short of all those things when they run out in our lives. But he's also saying you can be very lost again in that legalism, in that legalistic obedience to the law. This is, of course, reminiscent of Paul's own life. In his letter to the church in Philippi, he basically says, if anybody could have been saved by their obedience to the law, it would have been me. I was a Pharisee above all Pharisees. I was crushing it as a Pharisee. I studied the law. I knew the law. I was living the law. I was doing my best to be obedient to the law, and it was crushing me. 
it was killing me. It was suffocating my soul, my spirit, my, these fruits. And he was set free in Jesus Christ. Very similarly, there's a famous quote by Martin Luther who says, you know, if anybody also could have been saved by their monkery, it was me. I was an amazing monk. I mean, I was studying, I was praying, I was serving, uh, I, I was confessing, I was, I was crushing it as a monk, but, but it was crushing me until I heard those words breaking through that the righteous will live by faith. Faith that Christ has fulfilled the law. Faith that Christ is extending his righteousness to us. Faith that now this grace and this love is given to us and we begin to live in grateful response. And that is that key again. And, but you gotta love what he sets up, of course, is he's still inviting a kind of slavery. He's like, don't bother being a slave to the world anymore. Don't be a slave to the law or legalism like I was now. And, and it just, it, it kind of makes you need to think about it, ponder it. He wants us to meditate upon these things. Be a slave to love, a slave to Christ. You, you are still somebody to live in obedience. Now it is obedience to Christ and working out Christ's love for your neighbors in this world. Um, and so he's inviting us to move to a deeper level of maturity. I've preached messages on this in the past, so I, I don't wanna get off track and spend too much time of this, but I know in my own life, and this is a simplified journey of faith, but I do find it resonates when, when I talk about this with people over, over coffee or visiting. We do seem to go through several kind of transitions or steps of convergence, just deeper steps of faith. For, for many of us, of course, the first step of faith is just receiving this gift of salvation and forgiveness. When we hear this idea of being outside of a relationship with God or being in a relationship with God, we're like, I'll take God. <laughs> you know, being not forgiven or forgiven, I'll take forgiveness. Given heaven or given hell, I'll take heaven. I'll, I'll take the relationship, the righteousness, the praise God, I'll take it. We receive, we're takers, we get it. And that's okay. That's a starting place. That's a beautiful thing. That's a childlike faith. Receive this gift, nurture children in this. But does that, does our faith end there? No. The next step for a lot of us, of course, is, well, now I should kind of be obedient to this. But obedience often takes the form of what am I against rather than what I'm for? And again, don't misread me, don't misunderstand this, but we kind of then start to live in disobedience. Perhaps we just turn to the Ten Commandments. Okay, I'm not gonna murder. That, that seems pretty clear cut. Wasn't gonna do that anyways, but let's just be really clear now. Will not kill anybody. <laughs> All right, do not commit adultery. Okay, I can live by that one. Not gonna commit adultery. Do not steal. Okay, I don't steal. But if I think about stealing, what? I mean, am I taking things that I haven't fully, uh, uh, that starts to get a little complicated, but, but I'm not gonna steal anymore. Okay, don't lie. All right. Uh, okay, uh, I'm trying not to lie, but I mean, do, have, I, have I really never lied? Don't covet. Okay, all right. By the, oh, so, we, so our lives as Christians, rightfully, we begin to move in this stage of kind of creating those walls, those barriers, those things that we don't want to indulge in, things we don't want to do, things that we don't want to characterize our lives. And even that starts to get complicated, right? And then a lot of us, we come to this point, we say, maybe it's that time, instead of my life being defined by what I'm against, maybe it's time to allow my life in Christ to be fully defined by what I'm for. And what does it look like to be fully for the love of God for my neighbor? 
that's the maturity, that's the development, that's the growth that Paul is moving the church in Galatia towards. That's the move he's inviting in all of our lives. I want you to move into this kind of life that has the depth of maturity that says, what is it like to be for the love of God for all of my neighbors? Now, that leads us, of course, into the fruits of the Spirit. A couple things to say about the fruits of the Spirit. Um, first, is as rightly noted, uh, you know, kind of in every commentary, in every text, he's he, he talk, talking about the fruit of the Spirit in one lump sum. It's kind of this interesting, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and then that fruit singular is described with all these adjectives. But what we take away from that is to say, this comes in lump sum to us. This is a package deal. I've joked about it before. We'll joke about it throughout the summer. We can't be one of those Christians who says, well, I'm going to be a loving Christian, but I just don't have what it takes to be one of those self-controlled Christians. Nope, nope. Spirit's not going to let you get away with that. Well, you know what? I'm going to be one of those joyful Christians, but patience, just not my virtue. So I'm just not going to be one of the, nope, spirit's not going to let you get away from that. You know, uh, kind Christian, you know, I don't know, really, is that up to others? Nope, spirit's not going to let you get away with that when you have a life fully submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit. So that is the idea, of course, of this singular with this plurality of descriptions, of adjectives, of understandings. We always need to be working on nurturing all of these fruits. There will be perhaps the element over the course of the summer where we'll really focus on love this week and joy next week and peace the next, of course. But in the end, of course, we always want to be bringing them all together. And if there's ever one aspect of the fruit that is out of balance in your life, well, that's the invitation for you to be cultivating, to be nurturing, to be working on growing that element of the fruit of the Spirit in your faith. So um, the other thing to take note about this is this is, of course, for all believers. We'll have to do another series at another time on the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are beautiful. The gifts of the Spirit are amazing. The gifts of the Spirit are to be used for the edification of the body of Christ and for the blessing of our neighbors. And the gifts of the Spirit land on us in very unique ways. And all of us as believers should explore those gifts and our particular gifting. Some of you might already say, of course, I'm very clear on my gifting. I am a singer. I am a guitar player. I have technological skills. I have administrative uh, gifting. I, uh, I have the gift of preaching or teaching. Others have the gift of preaching and, and, and teaching. So some of us are very clear on the gifts, but others of us, of course, the invitation at some point is for us to explore our gifting. How has God uniquely wired us and how might we use those gifts? Again, for the blessing and the building up of the body of Christ and for those outside of the body to be welcomed and brought in. Um, and then the third thing, and then we'll just unpack this a little bit about this is, okay, now what is this kind of love that we are actually called to? Um, we could have a lot of fun with this and I will try not to get again too, too sidetracked, but you know, we in our time, in our culture, in our context, we just put this word love over so many things. And, and you've thought about this, you know this, you recognize this. Uh, we, 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 you know, we talk about everything from the love of God and God is love all the way to me going home and, and kneeling down and falling on the floor with my puppy and saying, I love you so much. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean love covers so much. So 
what is the kind of love that we are going to be covering. I actually learned this uh, th this past week is that there's, contextually, there's about eight different words that often get translated love throughout the scriptures, but you may have also heard this. There's four that get used most frequently or most important for us to understand. C.S. Lewis famously made this very um, applicable and a part of uh, kind of Christian and church life in many ways by a book called The Four Loves. And in The Four Loves, he breaks them down, and we'll do a quick breakdown. Of course, the go-to for a lot of us when we think of love, a lot of us might think of eros. Yes, the root for erotic, but don't just kind of go there. Um, the love of lovers, the, 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 the passionate love um, that we celebrate. Yes, the scriptures do celebrate in some portions, in some places, and they affirm as a gift from God, eros, passionate, loving love, particularly in the context between a husband and a wife. That is where eros is celebrated scripturally in the life of the believer. That's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here or the spirit is necessarily nurturing in your life. Then there's also a storge kind of a love. That's a familial love. That is the love that is just sort of naturally happens between a parent and a child and contextually in members of a household together. You were just sort of put into life together and there's this affection, there's this affinity, there's this coming together in this love that you share together in a home. And that's a beautiful thing. And that too is celebrated throughout scripture. We do then hear a lot more in the scriptures about um, phila, Philadelphia, brotherly love. We, we know about this. But don't think about, brotherly love uh, is that kind of love that in some ways, it's not that the scripture raises that above family, but what it does is it says, whenever people willingly come together and love each other like family, that otherwise wouldn't be family, that's incredible. And that's key to understand. That's very key to understand the brotherly love. Whenever people who would maybe otherwise be a set apart enemies, who start to love each other like family, that is a beautiful and Christ-like thing. Uh, an example of that would, of course, be the relationship that um, David and Jonathan had in, in the scriptures. There's a beautiful story of their friendship, and it talks about them just having this brotherly love that just bound them together. It's a beautiful celebration. But the love that Paul is talking about, this love that we describe as a fruit of the Spirit, this love that can only be nurtured and come to us in that sense supernaturally. You probably know the word. You probably heard the word. This is a, an agape. Thank you. Yes, I do like to just check in and make sure people are still with me. Amen. Agape, an unconditional love, the unconditional love that comes to us from and through God. Let me just read for you what might be a good description of agape love. Uh, this won't be on the screen. Um, I just want you to hear these words. But John, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John begins to describe himself as the beloved disciple 
John, who was early in his ministry known as one of the Sons of Thunder. And if your nickname is the Son of Thunder, you probably have had fits of rage. You probably have had quite a temper. You probably have not shown patience. You probably have not been very kind in many circumstances. If your nickname is the Son of Thunder, oh, I have to confess this, by the way. Uh, I do have like biking music and, and, and workout music, and it does tend towards sort of the harder. And my, I got on Spotify yesterday to go into a bike ride, and um, it said, we made a list for you, and it's called George's Rage Mix. And I was like, I might have some things I need to work on in my life if Spotify is making literally a rage mix for me. I was like, I might need to become the beloved disciple and not a son of thunder so much. Um, but that's John's movement from the son of thunder to the beloved disciple. His life was literally transformed by this agape love of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's such a beautiful thing. So this is what John tells us about this transforming agape love of God. Uh, from John, uh, 1 John chapter 4. First, he's going to tell us that um, God is love and all love is going to come from God. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Is it inappropriate for us Christians to just sort of celebrate God is love and to share that with the world? Absolutely not. Is there more to it? Of course. Can we go deeper and understand a more mature level of that? Of course. But God is love. Share that. Celebrate that. Embrace that. That's good news for the world. God is love. Um, he, then, then this love of God is made known to us through, of course, Jesus Christ. He goes on, starting, uh, just verse 9 now. I'm just literally reading four, uh, six verses here. Starting in verse 9 then. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were still enemies of God, God loved us. Jesus loved us enough to surrender his life for us. Finally, then, he, God, and then, he, then comes the invitation. Because God is love, because we know the love of God through Jesus Christ, by the way, every fruit, let me just say this, say this to make it abundant, trying to make this abundantly clear. We are talking about the fruits of the Spirit. This is the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ to, uh, from the dead. This is the spirit of Jesus Christ alive and at work in us. We will look to Jesus ultimately as the embodiment, as the living out of each and every one of these fruits. Jesus shows us how to love. Jesus shows us what true joy is. Jesus will show us what patience looks at. So Jesus, 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 all this. And then God wants us to live this life. So verses 11 and 12 here, I'm throwing a lot at you, by the way. I'm Take it all in here. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I'm going to continue my practice now of creating a shelf of knickknacks. I don't know why I've gotten into this, but I'm maybe becoming more visual in my life, and I liked what we did with the, the parables. You're going to see there now the basin and the towel. 
any idea what this is to remind us of. Yeah, yeah, the foot, yeah, being the foot washing. If you want, if you want to see Jesus in agape love, I just think one of the best places to turn to, of course, John, the beloved disciple, and his letters of love and these descriptions of love. But if you just want to see it, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Jesus, God, washing the feet of the disciples. Wow. So every week we're going to be looking at this as kind of the model of love, that this is Jesus living out agape, sacrificial love for all of us. And, of course, we then know that we are to become the people of the basin, the people of the towel. Uh, maybe at some point we'll just throw towels on everybody. The, the symbolism is powerful to remind us of our baptism and washing clean, but then not just that, then the call, wash clean, standing right, being made new in Jesus Christ. We take that towel that washed us clean and we start to use it to serve, to kneel down, to serve other people. It's the beautiful invitation, of course, Continuing on the theme of C.S. Lewis, in his book, he then writes this. I'm looking at the time and realizing I got to wrap it up here. C.S. Lewis writes this. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking them more. If you do someone in good turn, you will find your if you do someone good, you will find yourself loving them more. It's probably apocryphal, but you know the story has been told and it's a cute story. It's a, it's a clever story, but a guy has sort of had enough. Had enough of his marriage, had enough of his wife, had enough of it all. And he, and he goes to a counselor, but really he's just telling the counselor he's, he's, he's throwing in the towel. He can't do it anymore. He says, I've resolved to leave my wife. And he gives all of the reasons why, all of the reasons why he should feel justified, why he should feel right in breaking this commitment and moving on. And now when we tell stories like this, of course, we're not inviting anybody. In, in today's context, in today's world, this has to be said. Um, this is not the invitation to remain in abusive situations and unsafe situations. Um, if anybody ever finds himself in this situations like that, please seek help. Talk to me. Uh, un un understood. So these are these are stories. But this, as the story goes, uh, the, the counselor, not wanting to see this happen, says, I, I, "No one will blame you for for for, for leaving uh, for leaving this marriage and, and leaving this, this woman in your life." But he says, but I, I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, instead of just leaving her, why don't you play it up a little bit? For the next couple weeks, just act as if you love her. So then when you drop the news, she will truly be caught off guard. And in his desire for getting revenge and getting back at her, he decides to enact this plan. And he begins just acting in ways, pretending as if he loved her. And over the course of two months, the counselor, of course, doesn't hear anything from this man. So he decides to give him a, a call, and, the, and he says, how are your plans for your divorce going through? And he says, well, they've fallen apart. The more I pretended I loved her, the more I fell in love with her, and the more she loved me in return. 
Again, it's probably just a made-up story, but it, it perfectly does highlight that case of whenever we find ourselves not willing love, not feeling love, not getting those delightful feelings of loving, we will ourselves, as followers of Jesus Christ, we will ourselves, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to a love beyond what we ever could be capable on our own. Because again, that's the whole point. If we just love like the world, there's no point for us to gather, there's no point for us to pray, there's no point for us to work and move towards this direction. But if we have available to us a supernatural capacity to love by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, well, that's the love that we begin to nurture. And we all need to nurture it. And so what I would commend to you over the course of this week and over the course of the summer, there will probably become moments in the quiet of the night or on a walk in an otherwise lovely day when you should be rejoicing in the gifts of God, when you should be celebrating all those wonderful blessings poured out on you, when you should be feeling nothing but joy and laughter and love in your own life, but you find yourself returning to those dark places. That name that just, <clears throat> that, that the image of that face of that person or hurt you or hurt somebody you loved, that memory of that season where you felt so wounded, that, that time where in your flesh, because that's what he's done for us, he has contrasted this flesh, in your flesh, you hate them. That's a tough thing for a Christian to ever admit, of course. But you know, you know in your flesh you hate them. Confess that to God. Confess that hatred to God. But at that moment, do something a little bit more. Pray a blessing over them. One of the great blessings we know of the scripture, of course, is that priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious towards you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. As hard as it might be, insert their name, insert their face. You know, think about that person. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious toward you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and allow the spirit to begin to melt that hatred and turn it to love. And if it is possible, again, don't push this to the point where you would endanger your, I, I'm not, again, I'm not pushing this to those places, of course, but if possible, then act in love towards them. Maybe make that call. Maybe write that letter. Maybe arrange for that visit. Maybe seek reconciliation. Put into action the love, the love of God, this love that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Let's have the band come up. They're gonna get ready to take us out with a little bit more um, worship. And as they do, of course, what we do is we invite the power of the Holy Spirit to begin nurturing the fruit of the Spirit. And of course, this fruit that encapsulates one, the, the, the uh, what's that, what's that, uh, somebody give me that Lord of the Rings uh, quote there, one ring to rule them all, one ring to, what's that, I know there's like Lord of the Rings nerds here. What's, how does that quote go? One ring, one, one, Oh, he's not, oh, my, oh, oh. It's told find me. them all, bring them all, and then bind them. It's actually not a good thing. 
Oh, it's not a good thing. All right, then ignore this illustration. One, uh, forget what I just said now. One fruit is the key. We're just going sticking with the fruits. I'm just gonna say it again. I won't worry about, I'm not gonna worry about the, 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 the screen right now. Love is the key. Yeah, forget, forget the Lord of the Rings here, I guess. I should always stay on script. I should never go off script. I get into trouble. Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins.